You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I am your host, Monique Russell. Today in my guest chair, I have a woman who has been to all continents but one. But what you really need to know is that she is described as savvy, cutting edge, ahead of the curve, following the trends, totally my kind of woman. She's a podcast host of Chatting with the Experts, a web developer and tech leader with a special passion for helping women in tech. Miss Paula Okone, welcome to the show. Thank you, Monique. When I heard that description, I was about to look around to say, who is she talking about? It's Me. you. It's you. <laughs> it's all you. And I can't wait to get into some of these stories. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, I love to ask my guests, the first question is, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you choose to be and why? I love that question. I have two answers. So I'll give you just one though. So right now, I would choose to be in Grenada, near to my mom, who's 84 years old. She was a pinnacle of strength in our lives and still is, but unfortunately she's got dementia. And so because of that, I'd love to be there. I'd love to, you know, just see how she's doing. I mean, I, even though weekly I see her, thank God to WhatsApp and Zoom, I see her, but it's still not the same. And it's hard, but I'd love to be there. Yeah. Now, if you had asked me that question two years ago, I tell you, I want to be in Hawaii. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so two years ago, Hawaii, I could def definitely understand the need to be close to family and be home and especially mom. So tell me a little bit more about why Hawaii. Oh gosh. So in 2008, we went to Hawaii. It was a trip for my son who had gone to boarding school and his dad said, well, you're in boarding school, you're away from home. Let's do something fun. Let's give you some way fun. Where in the world would you want to go? And he said, Hawaii. And so we went to Hawaii. Well, we didn't realize what well, we did, but we didn't quite realize that when we said Hawaii, we, we thought we just booked to the big island which is close to nature. You don't have all the city lives, you know, like Honolulu. And so we got there and my daughter looked and said, mom, we're in the wrong island. But we made the most of it. We were in a lovely hotel. I think it was a Hilton. It was on the beach. It was exquisitely beautiful. And we did things that we hadn't done in ages. We went snorkeling. 
we went on a submarine down to the bottom of the ocean. We toured the island. And at the end of our five days there, we all agreed it was the best vacation we ever had. I almost said holiday, <laughs> but it was the best vacation we ever had. And so that's why whenever people ask me, where was your best vacation or where would you want to go again? I say Hawaii, the big island. The big island. You know what I find so interesting is because you ended up somewhere that you didn't intend to go. You had, yes. you had, you had this thing in your mind where you were going and it turned out to be completely <laughs> opposite of what you were looking for. Yet yes. you guys managed to not only enjoy yourselves, but it became one of your best vacations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That approach, Paula, and that mindset isn't one that I feel is common for a lot of people. Because sometimes we have the things in mind that we want to do or where we want to go, especially when we're going to other cultures and interacting with other cultures. And if it doesn't fit that mold, for, for many, it can completely derail the experience. So where did you and your family pull from in order to embrace the unknown or to embrace um, <laughs> what was something totally uh, against the plan? Well, I mean, when I look at my life, it's almost like <laughs> I was born at a time where my family were kind of, um, I don't want to say experimenting. So let me put it this way. So my parents met in England and my dad's from Nigeria. My mom's from Grenada. That wasn't the plan. I mean, <laughs> she didn't go there looking for a Nigerian husband. And he definitely wasn't looking for a Caribbean woman because apparently from what I heard, he had an English girlfriend, but my mom went to a party that she didn't want to go to. And apparently he was dancing on the floor with his girlfriend. She walked into the room and the rest was history. What? Yes, girl. That's <laughs> what I was told. <laughs> and so um, and my parents, when they got married, they had twins first. And then I was the third. I don't I never know how to describe myself. I'm the second pregnancy, but the third child, because there are two people before me. And my mom said she was fed up with England, so she went to the Caribbean. She went back home, and I was born there. And then it was a series of moves. We went, when I was about nine months, we went back to England. And then after some time, we moved to Nigeria. And then there was a civil war, so we moved back to the Caribbean. And then my dad, after the civil war, came back to Grenada to meet, because he stayed back from the civil war in Nigeria, and he came to the Caribbean to meet us. We ended up living in Guyana, going back to Nigeria, went to school in England. Oh, so it's been a long series of moving and living in different places. So with that mindset, it's almost like I can live anywhere. Mm. So going to Hawaii and finding out, well, really, this is the big island, not quite where I was thinking. It was like fine because that's almost like been the story of my life. Wow. I mean, definitely embracing the unknown is part of your DNA and that story with your parents. Okay. So that's the story they told you, but we know there's another story and another story too. <laughs> right. But my mom was adventurous, yeah. you know, she really was because this was in the fifties. And I know she told us that her parents told her, when you go to England, don't look for African men because they're going to carry you back to Africa. When we ended up there, Wow. And my dad was, uh, I mean, she had the best marriage. She really did. My dad doted on her and doted on us. So, you know, but we always said she was adventurous to come all, go all that way, living in Nigeria, you know, 
you know what I find so interesting? Okay, so what do you think that your grandmother was afraid of or concerned about with your mom meeting an African man and going back to Africa? Like, you know, coming from the Caribbean, what, I mean, we don't know, but what do you think uh, was her concern? Well, I think it was both of their concerns, her dad and her mom. They felt she wasn't going to come back. Oh. They felt, that's what they said. You'd go there and you go to Africa. And, well, there wasn't social media, think about it, to make a phone call those days. My gosh, I still remember, you know, when a, an overseas call would come, it was so difficult to get, you know, <laughs> for the call to even connect. And then everybody would be told, shh, overseas call, and they'd be shouting at the top of their voices. So... <laughs> I don't know why they feel like they can't hear because it's so far away, but they're on the phone. I know. That's what I I remember childhood. I still picture the phone. So yeah, so they felt that she'd be so far away. It'd be so difficult to communicate. They wouldn't see her. And that would be the end that she was the first. So she was the oldest, you know? Mm -hmm. And as she said, because she was the first, and I've learned that too, the first child always is almost like in quotes, the experiment, because you don't know anything about having a child. You've never brought up a child. And so she was the first. And she's had so many stories to tell us about how she, when she had to go to a dance, the whole family would go, well, not not her dad, but her mom and all her siblings would come to the dance and they'll stay outside and they'll make sure there were louvers. I don't know if you're familiar with louver windows. They're almost like the um, the blinds we have here with slats. Mm-hmm. But um, when I say here, here in the United States, but then these are glass. And so you, you open them and you close them. So anyway, they would open it and be looking at her as she danced. And she said, oh, Lord. That was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> wow. I could imagine what it's like with the first child. You know, I think about it with my first as well. And you really try to do your best and you're very protective. And I'm so surprised that they were thinking, okay, she wouldn't come back. It would be far to communicate. And not from a sense of, oh my gosh, they don't have modern modernization or they live in trees that I'm, I'm not picking up that um, perspective from you no I, well I never heard that they never talked about that um, what they did think about as I said that she would go far away they wouldn't be able to connect with her she'd just be too far makes sense to me and I am loving it because I do know like that mindset in the Caribbean having the Caribbean background as well it can go both ways some may be concerned that you know Uh, just like what your parents experienced, the distance, and others may be concerned because their media exposure to Africa has been limited and tainted, Um, but it definitely doesn't sound like that's the case. And I can see why through and through you've been so many places. (laughs) And (laughs) I remember you saying at one point that when you actually moved to Nigeria, you did not know you had an accent until you moved there. So tell me about that experience. Well, when we moved to Nigeria, we had lived, as I said, in so many places. We lived in England, the Caribbean. We actually lived in Guyana and South America. And then we got back there. And of course, we had a non-Nigerian accent. And so um, the first thing is you open your mouth and like, "Eh? what are you saying? Especially when you want to pronounce your name. I was pronouncing our last name wrong, completely <laughs> wrong, you know, and they said, that's not how it is pronounced, you know, we were in shock in the first place, like, what? I mean, my dad, I guess he hadn't thought about it. Um, the first time we had lived in Nigeria, we were very young, and now we were coming back, 
preteens, some of the, us teenagers, and we were pronouncing the words wrong. Well, we'd spent quite a lot of our lives, I'm talking about my particular family, because I had cousins too who were coming back from abroad. And so in my family, my nuclear family then, we had spent a lot of our lives trying to adapt, you know, adapt to different cultures. When we got to Grenada, we had the Nigerian accent and people would come to the house to hear our accent then. No way. Yes. People were fascinated. I always tell people that, you know, those years, early years we lived in Grenada were funniest, but we were almost like celebrities. People come and say, I want to hear the African accent, you know, while you say something in African, there's nothing like a, you know, so I guess in Grenada being a smaller culture, we did a lot more walking than we did in Nigeria, where the culture is, is more you drive, et cetera, at least for us it was. So we'd be walking from school and the bus would stop and somebody would jump out and say, hey, all the African children say something to us. And we're like, okay. Or my cousins, I still remember my cousin because I came from a family of drama my, on my mom's side. And she, I still remember her jumping on the bus and telling people, these are my cousins and they're from Nigeria. So it was, for us, it was a positive experience. At least in my recollection, my siblings may say something else, but it was fun. Absolutely beautiful. Just beautiful. So Paula, with all of this multicultural background, adaptability, flexibility, I mean, it literally is in your DNA. So you really have no choice but to embrace the unknown. But for many others, it may not be as easy if they haven't had such exposure, such ongoing life skill practice, and just really moving from place to place. And as you focus on immigrant women in particular, how do you see them embracing the unknown? And what advice can you give to someone who may not have had uh, your experience in embracing the unknown when they're moving or living into a new culture? Well, yes, I see and I understand, you know, how difficult it is to embrace a new culture. If the culture that you've known from back home is the only one you've ever known. So I would say something that my mom ingrained in us and she was like, be open-minded. You're going somewhere new. So have an open expectation. Don't expect to eat the same food that you ate while you're home because you're in a new place. The food will be different. Don't expect you know, people to um, look the same way as you look because it's a different experience. You know, Have an open mind. But you know, that's easier said than done because she told us that, she taught us that, but we still struggle. And I think as I got older, and I was much older, I was probably like in my 30s, she told me that she struggled, <laughs> but she, you know, ingrained that in us. You're going to a new place. The food is going to be different. The people are going to be different. Be open-minded because you're not home. Mm. Let me dive a little bit into that struggle. Give me an example of something that you struggled with when you embrace a new culture. All right. So um, like when we moved back to Nigeria, as I said, initially, we didn't have the accent. We didn't understand some of the cultural norms and haven't spent quite a lot of my formative years in the new world where in the new world, as the name implies, cultures are different. So we got to Nigeria where there was 
definitely cultural norms. And then there were different ethnic groups, you know, they were, we call them tribes. So there's the Yoruba tribe, the big ones are the Yoruba tribe, the Hausa tribes and the Igbos. And so things are done differently. Things are really done so differently. It was more of a patriarchal society. And, you know, in the Caribbean, it's matriarchal for the most part, uh, you know, it's patriarchal, but it's not, the emphasis is not as much there. So in Nigeria, you are from where your father is from. Most things are made in reference to father, you know, my father's house, my father's village, my father's name. So when you talk about a surname, it's your father's name. In the Caribbean, you know, it's different where you have a lot more, um, you have a lot more single mothers there. And so, you know, people would take on their mom's last name. It wasn't like that when I lived in Nigeria. So the, some of the struggles were understanding the do's and the don'ts. The culture there is a lot more formal with a lot of respect to older people. So when you meet someone who's older, you shouldn't just say, hey, hi. You know, in the Caribbean, I could get away with saying, hi, uncle. There, I had to say good afternoon or good morning, you know. And then, of course, there wasn't a language barrier, but we didn't speak the language. And my aunties you know, we're like trying to teach us a language. So, you know, this is what you say. This is what you don't say, depending on different parts of the, um, the village you're from. You said different things. And we tried, but we just couldn't get it. I mean, none of us. I was trying to think if any of my siblings know. So those are some of the struggles, trying to understand a different culture. My dad didn't quite prepare us and through no fault of his because we had lost some years. I said there was a civil war and we had lost some years with him. And when he came back, it was adjusting to him and adjusted to the new culture. He was introduced into the house. He's like, I am back and I'm the man. <laughs> <laughs> I am your father. I'm your father. You will tell me you would. I mean, we looked at him as a, a, a summer holidays, like time to play. My dad said, eh, this is not time to play or you will read your books. <laughs> I understood reading a book for pleasure. No, read your books or study. So can you imagine in July when all your friends are playing outside? He's like, oh yeah, come inside. Come and read your book. Have you learned this math concept? Nope, but you better learn it. So <laughs> those are some of the things, you know, that we had to adjust to. And we got to Nigeria and Nigeria is very competitive. The popularity there was based on how well you did in school. Not how well you, you know, you played football or not that there's anything wrong with that or how well you sang. It was like, who came first? Who came second in class? What grades did you get? And I love that because, you know, there was more of a strive for excellence and performance academically. You know, I love the confidence. You know, it's like we are who we are. We, we have no apologies. So I did love that. I mean, we accepted that at an age where we too were going through uh, our own um, struggles in the sense that I, I was like either 11 or 12. I was a you know, preteen where you have all these conflicting emotions, et cetera, and having to adapt to a culture that was stricter than what I had known before, it was tough. Oh my God, I can so relate. I can so relate. <laughs> I mean, I actually met my dad when I was eight years old and he's Nigerian. My mom's from the Bahamas and I can relate to a lot of what you have shared um, with your experiences. And so now we're here, we're living in the United States, mm -hmm. um, which is a different culture from the East and from the Caribbean, some similarities, slightly different. Mm -hmm. So for the women that you are serving 
in the immigrant communities, the, the women that you're mentoring, that you're coaching and grooming, especially even in the tech industry. Let's take it from the other side. How can they be successful in navigating the culture here in the West, in the United States, understanding the cultural background of living on the continent or growing up in the Caribbean? The first thing, my podcast in particular, is focused on immigrant women who have moved from Africa and the Caribbean to the US, the UK, and Canada. And even though I am a woman of tech, I approach it more from, let's hear your story, because I want people to understand that we may come from Africa or the Caribbean, but we had lives before that. We had experiences that you need to be aware of. You know, a lot of us immigrated here for sometimes better economic opportunities, sometimes for school, sometimes through no choice of us, the parents might have moved there or, you know, for whatever reason. So that was to spread awareness about women from these parts of the world. They got things going on between these two ears. They're just as intelligent. So don't assume because someone has an accent that it means that, you know, they are not as educated as you are or what you consider educated. That's the main thing. Now, in terms of tech, I consider myself a woman of tech. But one reason that I um, showcase myself, and I have to tell you, I'd hate, I never liked being in the public limelight. I mean, the worst. Yes, people always say, what? Tell the truth, Paula, tell the truth. (laughs) You were born for the stage. No, 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 no. And it's funny that my mom was also in the public limelight. She was a TV personality in Nigeria and even in Grenada. And I told her, I mean, people didn't know that before she'd go on stage or before she'd go on camera, I should say, she would be like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? And then she would get on camera and it was it looked like so easy for her. And I would always be shocked when she'd be saying, I'm so nervous. So fast forward many years, that was me. I knew how shy my mom was. People didn't know that. And I was also shy. I don't like being in the public limelight. You know, it took me a while to even put my picture on um, my podcast. Because I was like, I don't want to do this. But I did it more from the angle that, you know, I want other people like me to see people like me. Because many times you can't give what you don't have. You can't do what when you don't have an example in front of you. And I remember a woman coming up to me and Poppy was at the networking meeting and she said, Paula, you have an accent and you have a podcast. And she said, I'm from an island in the Caribbean or Guyana some, or South America somewhere. And she said, and I'm afraid to do this. And I thought to myself, well, this is what I have to do. Not because, I mean, nobody put a hammer over my head, so you must do this, but just felt in my spirit, this is what I want to do. This is how, why, how I want to showcase myself. And so being a baby boomer, and a woman and an immigrant woman, all those three factors, I think sometimes that can count against you in the tech world. And I do quotes because the tech world is dominated really by men. And through no fault of theirs, it's just dominated by men. So um, when I started doing web design, well, my background really is in math. And that was a male-dominated world. <laughs> and this was in the 80s. And so I went into accounting and then when I started doing web design, I'd go for some functions and most times it was men there. And I started to say, well, you know, we must have a voice. There must be more of us on the table so that people like me could relate 
to people like me, for want of a better word. So um, I met with two other women and they were from North Carolina. So they are from Charlotte, they grew up in Charlotte. And the more we talked about it, the more we said, you know, we should start doing something. We need to start showcasing more women's faces. And so we started a podcast. And so the primary purpose of that podcast called Lady Tech Charmers was to showcase ourselves as women who never considered ourselves women in tech, women who didn't have that as a background, women who struggled because we all tell our stories of where we came from, but to encourage women to take on technology or, and not be intimidated by technology. So to take on technology as a career. And so when we started that, it was three different generations, you know, and I was a black face there and I was an older woman there. And that's what I think made our podcast different in that I could be an older woman and, you know, still consider herself a woman in tech. And then we talked about our journeys, how we got to where we were. I talked about how I was a struggling student in going back to Nigeria. I was failing math. And as I said earlier on, Academic success is what people look at. My dad and his three brothers were engineers. And of course, they expected their children, or they wanted their children to be good in science. And life doesn't work that way. They expected their sons also to take on their, um, they had an engineering company. They expected their sons to take over that. There weren't a lot of boys in the family. There were more girls. And so some of us seemed to be more science inclined. And so... Um, I was in the science class, but I couldn't pass math. I was struggling. And so I talk about that and say, you know, and now I consider myself a woman in tech, but this is my story. And yes. I want you guys to know that, that, you know, because you, you struggled at the beginning, that doesn't mean that that defines your end. Oh. You can still turn out to be something better than you anticipated to be. And many times it's because you have a failure or you have a mentor like my mom asked one of her friends who was from Trinidad and was a mathematician to mentor me and she did I still remember going to her house it would be late in the evening she's probably tired coming back from work she had a baby on her hip and she would you know say oh so what was the problem in math today oh lord I see how easy that could be and she made it fun it came alive you know yes and that's how I started doing better in math. And I started enjoying math. And that's how I became a mathematician. And so that's what we all wanted to portray or let women know listening to our podcast is that we ended up here, but our story was one of struggle. Mm. And so if we could do it, we want you to know that so can you. You know, I love a lot of what you shared here. Um, Paula, and I want to summarize up to this point for our audience, for our listeners, some of the big nuggets that are just leaping out, <laughs> leaping out at me. Um, there's so many gems, you know, really embracing the unknown is a whole mindset and a belief system that you can adopt and it will help you to navigate more successfully, more effectively as you interact with other cultures. Always keeping an open mind. That's a big one, especially on the show of basically unity and understanding among Black cultures. Mm -hmm. And then understanding the difference between the culture, the matriarchal, primarily matriarchal culture in the Caribbean and the patriarchal culture in Nigeria, 
totally different approaches, totally different focuses, totally different areas of elevation and status in the society, um, making sure that you understand the difference and the nuances in the culture that you're coming from and the culture that you're going, but also to know that struggles will be there. You can have a great time. You can still you know, embrace the culture and embrace the unknown, but struggle is a part of the journey. It doesn't mean you have to give up. It doesn't mean you have to throw in the towel. And then when you started the podcast, you know, really, I saw a place where you said you were also giving a voice to the voiceless. And you started the podcast and you said, show yourself, showcase yourself in Niger. Showcase yourself. <laughs> showcase yourself, <laughs> madam. So when, for the, any, for the immigrant women, especially entering into the United States, these are very timely, potent points that will help you to elevate and to succeed. And also not being afraid to ask for mentor or ask for a mentor for someone else. Like your mom did it for you not hesitating to ask for a mentor for someone else. Now, one of the biggest things I think that comes up a lot is this whole accent uh, Mm. issue. It just really creates a very strong sense of concern or, you know, very sensitive to how my accent is. There are people who are searching constantly for accent reduction uh, courses, accent elimination, What do you say to that, especially as people are connecting with others? What are your thoughts around the whole accent reduction, accent elimination approach as a way to successfully navigate? I would say that um, being a baby boomer, I've seen the emphasis change a bit more. I, as I said, my early years were in the Caribbean and I saw, I was even telling my children this, I saw my grandfather talk like this, you know, talk very British, you know. He was British? No, he wasn't. I said, But he he was talking like he was British. Yes, (laughs) that was considered educated. So he'd say, I am Mr. Bullen. You know, he used to say, you can speak like the locals, but (laughs) when you are in public, you have to sound a certain way and so um I adopted that <laughs> Paula don't make me fall out on this podcast okay <laughs> but you know I have seen over the years the trend is there's still emphasis on accent but I, there's less so because I think back to as I said early years in life where you could know who was um, a radio person because of their voices everybody had to sound the same And now there's a bit less of that, you know, as time has worn on, people are a bit more open-minded and maybe that is, we have to give credit to the internet where the world no longer has so many borders. You can be in China, you can be in, you know, in Peru, you can be any part of the world due to the internet. And of course, now in the 2020, 2021 with COVID, where we had to become more virtual, a lot more people are comfortable going on live, line, I mean, and connecting with people. And so and coming back to your question, the accent, I feel, is something that would take some time for people to not have an accent that is considered right. I think I have to give kudos to the millennials who are really very much 
more inclusive, I think, than any other generation that I've seen. They're more willing to, you know, say you be you and I be me, you know, and that I think would take even the accents being bundled into that so that we will not judge someone's education by the way they pronounce their words, but more on who they are. You know, mm -hmm. we look at people for what they bring to the table. Because you didn't go to an Ivy League school or you didn't go to one of the top named secondary school or high schools, as you say here, does not make you less educated than someone who did. You know, we all have something that we bring to the table and that is unique to us. And I feel that as time goes on, the emphasis on accents are going to be lessened and people, just because of what the millennials have done, spreading more awareness in every which way, people will be more accepting of this is who this person is. Take them, the whole package, you know? Yes. That's mighty. I mean, I give kudos again to the millennials, especially the Black women, millennials, who have celebrated Black hair. You know, it's now cool. And I'm sure you probably experienced that too in the Caribbean. When they say, go and plait your hair if you take your hair out. And they say, go and plait your hair, girl, all around with you. And now, you know, you look and you see that black hair is celebrated. And I know my hair is, is still texturized. That's primarily by choice because yes. I'm terrible with hair. When everybody, when my sisters were playing with dolls and learning how to cornrow, and so I was pitching marbles with the boys. I was a tomboy. So I have my hair. Once I go to the stylist and she styles it, I do nothing with it again until I go. So this is, for me, who's not into hair, the easier way to manage. But yeah, coming back to millennials, I think they've done a fantastic, you guys, I'm putting you in that category. <laughs> well, I'm an older millennial, yes. <laughs> so you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Yes, we are more inclusive. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I love that you're giving a shout out because, yes, over time, I think it will continue to lessen. And for those who still um, have that, you know, thought in their head that, man, my accent is holding me back. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are studies that have been done that show, you know, the discrimination against people who have an accent is very, very real. Mm -hmm. But um, like you said, Paula, struggle is a part of the process. Understanding mm -hmm. the nuances of the culture where you are is key mm -hmm. if you want to be successful. And if you do have a very thick accent, I would say just try to slow down a little bit, you know, just slow down a little bit, you know, so that your audience can connect with you and understand uh, more about what you're saying. But definitely it's Absolutely. not something to be ashamed of or um, to hide from. So Absolutely. I think it gives you richness. And I embrace this later on in life. It makes you exotic. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I remember working um, in an organization and the leaders would always say, I love coming to your meetings because I feel like I'm on an island when I'm listening to you. I just feel cool when I'm listening to you. And that was with me, you know, fine tuning the accent a bit. But if I got really excited, I'm not going to say frustrated, but excited. Everything come out one right. time. <laughs> yes, I get it. I get it. I totally do. And right now, I don't really know what accent I have. I, most people say they hear more of the Caribbean. And yes, I think so. But 
because I am, you know, a mixture of two cultures, I can code switch. And I'm with my Nigerian people. When I'm with my Caribbean people, it's the next thing. So. And I think it's such a powerful thing. Paula, we're going to yeah. start to wrap up soon, but you just said something that I cannot escape. You said you get to code switch in an instant where code switching is often looked at as something that is a pain or a chore, or why do we have to do this? What I just heard from you was we don't have to do it in order to assimilate, we get to do it. And and your mindset is one that it's not a weakness, it's a superpower. And I just really want to call that out. It is a superpower. It's by choice because it shows me, for me, I get the best of both worlds, you know? If I want, as I said, to talk like a Nigerian, I can. I can't speak the language, but I can speak the broken English. But then when I'm with my Caribbean people, I can too. Um, I had no control over this. My parents met, and I'm a product of that. To me, it's beautiful. It, and I have to say, Monique, but it took years to embrace that. Mm-hmm. You know, it took yes. years. Thank so some of this is that. coming from maturity a sense of maturity because as you heard at the beginning we tried to fit in but we failed woefully many times but now it's like this is who I am I absolutely love it Paula this has been incredible um before we close is there anything that you would like to share that I have not asked so far I don't think so the thing I was gonna talk about is about you know appreciating the millennials for what they've done to celebrate Black hair. The young Black women have made Black hair something that is professional, something that it's, you know, it's something to be proud of. That was a question that I didn't think you were going to ask, and so I preempted it. (laughs) So I think I jumped ahead of of myself. But yeah, I like that they've done that. I celebrate it with them. Even though my hair is not like that, but that's my choice because I'm so terrible with the hair. <laughs> Listen, I, I can relate to so many things, the background we have in common. Yeah. I am very low maintenance as well with my hair. Oh, but you know, I have a full head of locks. And yes, so <laughs> again, it's been a journey, but this has been wonderful. And to our audience listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Remember, you can listen to this episode on Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, basically wherever you choose to listen to your podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Let Paula know you've enjoyed her episode, connect with her online, chattingwiththeexperts.com. And until next time, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit clairecommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.